0: This morning's scripture comes from Matthew chapter 4 verses 18 through 25. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, "Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men." Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. The word of the Lord.
1: Good morning again. Thank you, Annalisa, for reading that. I'm going to have to keep my water bottle close by. I came down with something this week. So if I snort into the microphone, I have to just apologize ahead of time. I'll try not to. So during the season of Lent, this last week of Lent, um, we're finishing out the series we've been working through called "Groundwork for the Soul." This has been a series on Matthew chapters three and four, and these chapters tell us all about the groundwork and the preliminary steps that needed to happen before Jesus launched his public ministry. And as such, we've been looking at them and exploring what we can learn from these passages about the groundwork that we need to do in our own lives, seasons of groundwork where God is digging up the soil in our lives in order to deepen our faith or to prepare us or to equip us for new places where He might call us and send us and use us. So today we come to our final message in this series, the final piece of the groundwork for the soul that we've been looking at which is this, the call for us to consider, or for many of us to reconsider, the call to follow Jesus. So I'm not a huge connoisseur when it comes to classical art. I just have to say that up front. But a number of years ago, when I was teaching on Jesus' call to Matthew, the, the one who wrote the Gospel of Matthew, when I was teaching on that, I came across a piece of classical art from way back in the day by Caravaggio, and it was called The Calling of of St. Matthew. And it just captivated me because I felt like, man, it captures the essence of what's happening in that passage. All you can see it, I forgot to turn my monitor on over there, so I'll just have to go by your eyes. But this is a little show-and-tell time. Um, Because I remember that passage, I was wondering, I wonder if Caravaggio painted another painting... Thank you, Garrett. Um, Another painting about the passage we just read. We just heard read from Annalicia in Matthew 4, the calling of St. Peter and Andrew, his brother. Then I found out he did, so let's see that one. There's the other painting. So besides Jesus, there he is in the picture. He's beardless. He has red hair. He's wearing pink. Just put all that aside for a moment. I noticed something else about Caravaggio's paintings here. Go back to the Matthew one real quick. There you see people are pointing all over the place. Jesus is pointing. I don't know why his hand is is kind of limp there, but he's pointing at, that's Matthew, sitting there in his tax collector booth with all his buddies. Some of them are still counting money, but he's pointing at Matthew, and Matthew's pointing at himself like, you're coming for me? And then I, I don't know who that might be next to Jesus. I think that might be Peter, but he's also saying that guy is the one we came to get. So go back to um, the other one. Here we have another painting, and there you might notice, you know, there we see Jesus. We see Peter. He's, like, ripped. His neck is, like, he's just, like, yoke there. I don't know. He's just, like, the rock, I guess. But Jesus is pointing towards the light, saying, follow me. Peter has one hand out, open, but one hand is holding his fish. So here at this moment, he's undecided. Andrew, that's his brother Andrew in the back, and he's pointing, just like Matthew was in the other painting, to himself, like, am I going to? (laughs) Or is that just for for Peter? These these paintings, the reason I wanted to show these is because I do think they capture part of the essence of these, these calling stories in the Gospels, where Jesus shows up into somebody's life and he says, follow me, because they're all about direction. And so there's hence the use of pointing to me, Jesus pointing to the person. Jesus here in this painting pointing to the light that's coming from the painting. This is where we're headed. And so my question for all of us this morning is if we were to paint ourselves into the passage we just read well, what what would that look like? Where would we be pointing? Where would we be headed? What direction? There are a lot of times in life where we either feel maybe directionless, we have the grind of life moments where it's just like we get up, we do the same thing, we repeat, we go through life, and it's a grind, and we feel like, what's the direction? What's the point? Other times in life, we have lots of things going on, but we feel like we're pulled in so many different directions. I need to do this, and then I need to go do this, and I'm moving from direction to direction. And there are a lot of points like that for us in our lives, really every major step of our lives, we have to consider the question of direction, where am I headed? Which way should I go? If we're in school, we have to think about friendships. Which friends should I hang out with? Which kind of choices should I make at the end of high school? Which college should I go? Should I go to this college? Should I head over to that college? When we graduate and we're looking for our first job, is this the career for me? Is this the job for me? Is this the place that I want to be living? If we're in a career, we're wondering, is this the place I should stay? Should I head in a different direction? Should I pursue a different calling? We're working through relationships and considering uh, the call to singleness or the place of singleness in our life. Should I be married? If we get married, what is the direction our life is taken? when we have kids? What about the direction of my kids' lives? Where should I point them? If we're in midlife, retirement, after retirement, we have to ask these questions. Where am I headed? Where should I be headed? Which direction am I going? And if we're new to Jesus and we're exploring Christianity, we're just at a place of investigation, we wonder, if I follow Jesus, where will that lead me? What will that look like? So all these moments in our life are about direction. And this last part of the groundwork we're going to talk about this morning is the call of Jesus to consider just that question, the direction of our lives. To consider or reconsider Jesus' call for Him to set the direction of our lives and where we're headed. So we're going to look at three points and aspects of this passage. We're going to look at the call. We're going to look at the call to follow, and we're going to look at the call to fish this morning. First, we look at the call. As we come to this text, this groundwork phase for Jesus' ministry, all the preliminary steps he needed to do in order to be ready to launch and go public, they're almost over. It's almost complete. John the Baptist paved the way. He announced, he prepared everything. At Jesus' baptism, he was confirmed in his identity and in his calling. In his temptation, he passed the test where others have failed. And last week we saw how he began his ministry very intentionally in the darkest shadow of the land of Israel. So there he is, and there's just one more thing that he has to do. He has to build his team. He has to call his disciples. Then he can launch. And we see that four disciples were called here in Matthew chapter 4. Later we learn Jesus added to that. There were 12 total disciples that were to be his core launch team. He chose 12 very intentionally, very symbolically to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. He was saying, we're starting over. This is a renewed Israel. This is a new community. And he would stake his entire mission. He would stake his entire purpose that every nation in the world, more disciples of his would be made. He staked that all on this group of 12 people. And one of the craziest historical realities and truths about the Christian faith is that somehow this strategy worked, that all nations across time and across cultures over the past 2,000 years, for the most part, have had an opportunity to consider the call to follow Jesus. So this began a movement that has set the direction of people's lives in every culture and across history. So we look first at the call to get some insight as to why did this work? Why did the strategy of Jesus' work? We might be first tempted to focus on the followers and say, who were these guys? How in the world did somebody make the decision to leave everything behind and follow Jesus? What was it about them? How did they do that? But the passage is steering us away from that question first and saying, first and foremost, let's not look at the response, but let's look at the call. It's not about saying, wow, what a response these guys made. The question before us is, who could command such a response. There are two things in particular I want to look at about the call that Jesus makes. It's first a pursuing call. In Jesus' time, the idea of being a disciple, the idea of being a follower was something common. There were religious leaders and teachers and prophets, and they would gather movements and schools for their certain purposes and to gain followers. But the standard practice at the time was that the initiative lied in the hands of the disciple. These teachers, these people, they didn't go out getting recruits. They said, you come to me. But Jesus completely reverses this. He takes the initiative. He pursues. He calls. And we see here, he's not an ordinary teacher. He's not an ordinary rabbi. He is the Lord. Later on, we read of some people in the Gospel of Matthew, they're trying to take the traditional route to become Jesus' disciples. They say, Lord Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus actually turns them away. He says, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He just says, no, that's not how I do things. What's the point? The point is that it wasn't anything in these four particular men or individuals The point is that no one comes to Jesus on their own initiative, on their own terms. That should be some comfort to us because Jesus is the one who pursues us. This call he makes in our lives, he enables us to respond to that call. It's a gracious call, it's a powerful call. But it's also not only comforting that he pursues us, it's also very challenging because it's very clear from the outset that Jesus says, In this relationship, I'm setting the terms not you. So, it's a pursuing call. It's also a very personal call, just like the song that we sing, calling us all by name. The call is very simple and it's very direct. Jesus has two words. He says, follow me. He didn't begin by saying, follow my teaching in my ideas, and my theology, and my take on things, follow my example, follow the rules I've set for this community, follow my cause. That's all included in the package, but Jesus says first, follow me. The focus, the center point is on the person of Jesus. It wasn't so much about what Jesus had done up until this point, even what he had taught up until this point. It was about who He was. There was something so compelling about Him. There was something so commanding and convincing about Him that would cause these people to leave everything and follow Him. It was His person. It was Him. A few implications of this. If you're considering Christianity, there's probably a lot of questions you're, you're asking. If I become a follower of Jesus, what does that mean about my social and ethical views about all kinds of issues? Do I have to change those? If I become a follower of Jesus, what about my politics? If I become a follower of Jesus, how will it impact my friendships, my family? What about all my questions that I have? I have a question about this, and I have a question about that. And I want to say all those questions are very important, but they are secondary to the person Jesus. This passage would advise you to spend time and just get to know the person of Jesus. Read about Him in the stories of the Gospels. In simple prayers, ask Jesus to become real to you, that you might know Him, that He might show Himself to you. The truth is, when we follow after Him, a lot of our questions become clearer and become resolved. Not all, but many. To my Christian friends, in times when we feel lost, when we feel directionless in our faith, we're we're wondering, where is Jesus in this? We're feeling pulled in so many different directions. We're losing a sense of focus, and we're just not sure, what direction am I headed? I think this passage would say, return to the simplicity of the call. Jesus says, follow me. back in the days before there was GPS and before there were cell phones to guide us upon our way and all the freeways and driving and all that, sometimes we had to rely upon the good old-fashioned caravan. So somebody said, I'm taking the lead. Follow after me. And if you ever had to do a caravan, some of you were good leaders of the caravan, and some of you were terrible leaders of the caravan. You completely forgot that somebody was following you. Well, while I was in college in Atlanta, I was at a conference, and a bunch of us went, and this was before, again, days of GPS and all that, so it's like, okay, we got to get home, back to Gainesville, Florida from Atlanta, Georgia, and somebody's like, I know the way. I know the best way. We're like, all right, let's caravan it. It's awesome. It's going to be fun. And so we're driving through the freeways there in Atlanta, and I'm the last of three cars in the caravan. And they're just kind of zooming along, and all of a sudden, in my rearview mirror, I see sirens and a police car, and I get pulled over. So my friends, even though they, it was their fault, they caused me to speed. They pulled over. They were nice enough to pull over there on the side, and they're like waiting for me there. And the cop comes, and I realize, oh, yeah, I forgot my license. I don't have my license. Officer? Hello. <laughs> and he's like, well, that's going to be a problem. Why don't you get in the back of the car? So I spent my first and only time in the back of a police car there on the side of the road, and all my friends were like, what did he do? What's happening? All my friends in the car uh, in front of us. So thankfully, my record was clear. He was threatening me, saying, if there's anything on your record, you're going to have to spend time at the station. I was like, oh, shoot, what did I do? I was feeling all guilty, <laughs> like there was something that they were going to find about me. But I got to go, and they were, my friends were like, what happened? What happened? What's going on? I was like, you guys... You were speeding, and I got caught, and all you guys got away. I was speeding because I was following you. Why do I share that? Our lives are complex, very complicated at times. To answer the question, what direction am I headed? Sometimes we, we don't even know the answer to that. But to return to the simplicity of the call can bring great clarity. At times when we need direction, we're confused, we're discouraged, we're overwhelmed. Come back to the person of Jesus because if you're following him, no matter what else is going on, he's not going to leave you behind. He's not going to lead you astray. He's not going to leave you out hanging to dry. We might have all kinds of questions. We might have all kinds of confusion. But if we're following Jesus, we know he's with us. He's leading us. He's guiding us. Whatever the circumstances are, if we're following Him, then we know we're in the right place. That's the call. Now let's look at the call to follow. And I want to now to turn our attention away from Jesus and His call to the response to the disciples that were called Peter, Andrew, James, and John. What we see here and throughout the Gospels is that Jesus' ministry goal, He had many different things He did, but His top Ministry goal and strategy was to make disciples, to call people to be his followers. He didn't say, here, I want you to make this one-time decision, be off on your way, pray a prayer, accept this teaching, be on my side, agree with me, understand everything. I'm saying, he didn't say any of that. He said, follow after me. We're going to go on a journey under my leadership. Follow after me. So what we see is becoming a disciple or a follower of Jesus is not a part of what it means to be a Christian. It is what it means to be a Christian. To be a Christian is to be a follower of Jesus. What does that look like? Three different things that we see in this passage. First, the call to follow Jesus is costly. It's unexpected, especially at this time that Jesus would recruit the leaders of His new religious movement and mission there on the seashore of Galilee. Why there? You would expect some people with training, some pedigree, some religious leaders. The lesson is that Jesus isn't looking for those who are confident in their qualifications and in their training, the unqualified, the untrained. These are the ones who are the best candidates to be a part of His mission. But sometimes the humble status of these four men is a little bit overstated. We say, Jesus changed the world with these four poor fishermen, peasant fishermen, which is not completely accurate. It's true these were not upper-class individuals. They were not a part of the elite strata of society. But it's also not true that they were a part of the lower class. These were not peasants. They were not poor. These were businessmen. We could call them the middle-class businessmen. They were making money and they were providing for their families. They had busy and demanding work that they needed to take care of. Peter and Andrew, it says there, they left their nets and followed him. James and John, it says they left the boat and their father and followed him. To follow Jesus for these four men came at a cost. They left behind a profitable family business to follow Jesus. Scholar and commentator Greg Kinnear says about this, Jesus' call involves downward mobility. This is challenging. At each point in our lives when we're considering, what does it mean to follow Jesus in this moment, in this, when I'm seeking direction, that it will always entail a cost. follow Him. It will be a move in the direction of downward mobility. Now, for those of us who live in beautiful Orange County, for the most part, in some sense, middle-class suburban Orange County people, we are pulled in so many directions, it's so powerful. There's the pull to be successful. There's the pull to be beautiful to be fit. There's the pull to be wealthy, to have it all, to have the things of our dreams and to do everything well. we're pulled in all those directions. But Jesus' call to follow is not the path of upward mobility. It's a costly call. So there's a question that we should regularly ask. And I have this question on the presentation. What might Jesus be calling me to leave in order that I might more fully and faithfully follow him? Imagine a conversation in Galilee as they're seeing these fishermen walk off, leaving their nets, leaving their boat, leaving their father. I was like, what is happening? Where are you going? What are you doing with your life, with your business? All they could say was, It's because I'm following Jesus. And that is a challenge for all of us, my Christian friends, that we should be living lives that regularly provoke the question in middle-class suburban Orange County, why are you doing that? That doesn't make any sense. That's downward mobility. The only answer that we might have is because I'm following Jesus. You look back to Peter's picture where he was at that moment of decision. He had his fish in one hand, his hand outstretched in the other. And often we feel like that too. We are stuck. We want to go with Jesus, but we don't want to let go of the fish. But the call to follow Jesus is costly. Secondly, the call to follow Jesus is comprehensive. To become a disciple or a follower of a teacher at this time, it meant... Not that you just scheduled meetings. He said, meet me on Wednesdays over here by the lake. He said, follow me everywhere. We're going to eat together. We're going to hang out together 24-7. You are going to be a part of my life, life together. So when Jesus said, follow me, he meant come with me. Wherever I go, watch what I do. Listen to what I say. Bring all of your life into relationship with me. And so the call to follow Jesus is not a one-time decision. It's not one piece of our lives. It's all of our lives. It's comprehensive. This weekend, we had to do something that I dread because our car's transmission was going out, so we had to look for another car, and I dread it. Because shopping for a car, I always feel like there's these secret lies that are all behind the scenes and being told. You talk to the guy, and he's like, let me go in the room over there. I'm like, I want to go in the room over there. I hate that. It feels like a timeshare, you know, presentation and all that. So I had to do that. And I've gotten better at negotiation, but I always still feel like I lost. I was trying to stick to my guns, but but I lost this one. And negotiation is all about like, okay, you want all this, and I want all this. You give me, I'll give you that 10%. You better give me 10%. So 90-90 deal. Let's meet in the middle. Let's compromise, and we can do this sometimes we want to do that with Jesus and the call to discipleship let's say Jesus 80% 85% you give me 80% maybe you just give me 100% can it work like that and Jesus says the call to follow me is 100 100 it is a comprehensive call and so a question we need to consider is this what might Jesus be calling me to incorporate that I've kept separate? Other places in our lives we're keeping separate from the call to follow Jesus, a question we need to wrestle with. Thirdly, the call to follow Jesus is a communal call. Jesus never calls us to follow him alone. From the very beginning, we see that although his call is very personal, he comes to us personally, he says, you follow me. It is also always communal. Even from the very beginning, He calls these brothers in pairs. He calls them together. And Jesus' mission was not to call individuals and put them on their way, but it was to build a community of followers on mission. And so in our private, and our very individualistic culture and tendencies, we miss out on an aspect of discipleship especially when we're facing hard decisions about our lives and wondering what does it mean for me to follow Jesus in this decision it's not meant to be answered alone but in community the call to follow Jesus is always communal so a question for us to consider would be who might Jesus be calling me to follow with in this season of my life we should all have people we're following him with. Lastly, let's look at the call to fish. There's the call, the call to follow, and then there's the call to fish. Jesus says, Follow me, and I will make you into fishers of men. When Jesus sets the direction of our lives, he also recruits us and calls us to join him on his mission. And in his mission, what we see is that people are the priority. Just as Peter and John and And Andrew and James, they were focused on fish. He says, I'm going to speak your language. I'm going to make you fishers of men, fishers of people. Just like you had to go seeking for fish, find the fish and bring them in. Now your focus is going to be on people, on asking them to consider the call to follow me. And it's a call for us to make people the priority in our lives the very end of Matthew's gospel, the very, very end, Matthew 28, we see, yes, Jesus did say, here's your mission. Go into all nations and make disciples. And eventually, these 12 disciples did, in fact, go all over the world, but where it began was with the people that were closest to them in their lives. And it's the same for us, the people closest to us. Interesting dynamic here is that Although we see James and John leaving their father behind, and so we see the priority of Jesus even over the strongest family obligation of that culture and day, father, son. Jesus takes precedence over that. Yet at the same time, we see Jesus working within the family, within the network of relationships. Andrew is Peter's brother. He was the first one to meet Jesus, we see from the Gospel of John. He said, you need to meet this guy. James and John came together. They were brothers. Later on, we know that Peter's cousin became a follower of Jesus and his mom. Jesus was at work in their family. When we hear Jesus is called to be fishers of men, sometimes we think first, out there, all nations, go, but Jesus says, the people who are closest to you, you are called to make them your priority, and loving them towards me, and helping them follow me. If we're married, that means our spouse, if we're parents, that means our kids. It means our friends, it means our family and co-workers and helping them follow Jesus. This call to make people the priority is a call for us to think small. I'm struck by the pairing of these two scenes. We haven't talked about the second scene as much, but here's Jesus on the Sea of Galilee. He's interacting with four people. The next scene that Annalisha read in Matthew 4 was about the fame of Jesus spreading throughout the entire borders of the land of Israel. Very specific, Matthew says, it's everywhere. He is now famous. The buzz is spreading. And it forced me to ask, which one gets us more excited? Which one gets me more excited, even as a pastor? Do I want a popular church, a big church, great crowds? Is that exciting? Or is it more exciting, scene one, that four people left everything and heeded the call to follow Jesus? One by one, seeing people become followers of Jesus. Jesus' ministry of teaching and healing the crowds, that was a part of his mission. But these four men became leaders in a movement that changed the world. Which one is more exciting? Think small. In closing, <clears throat> the call to follow and to fish. Everything we've said, it can feel pretty heavy. It can, it can feel very demanding. And it really only makes sense if we follow the story. We follow Jesus all the way through the story to the cross. Two summers ago, for the first time, we went to Yosemite, Yosemite Valley, the most beautiful place that I've ever been. And we were, we were newbies, so people were taking us on hikes and everything, and we had our four kids, and, and our youngest, Luke, he was like three at the time, so we're like, what can, we, what can we do? Can we make these hikes? And so they were leading the way and said, follow us up to Vernal Falls. This is like up these stairs, and there's, there's slick stairs and everything, and this is a long hike for kids, for adults even. And so we're going, we're going and going, and they're just like, trust us. When you get to the end, it's all worth it. And many times along the way, we're like, maybe we should turn back. Maybe we should turn back. And our kids are like, it's long, it's long. But we did get to the end, and it was incredible. And it was worth it. We had to follow all the way through. It's the same thing with the story of Jesus. These crowds, they're an important character in the Gospel of Matthew. Think of the crowds as a character. They're mentioned over 40 times by Matthew alone. This is the first time he uses the word crowd. The last time is in Matthew 27, when they're saying, let him be crucified. From Palm Sunday, he is the king to Good Friday, let's crucify him. Though it's said here that the crowds followed him, what we learn from this is that though they were interested in Jesus, they never became followers, truly followers of Jesus. They never left the crowd because they didn't follow Jesus all the way. They missed the point of the cross. Some wanted his authority without his healing. Bring down the Romans, cast out all the sinners, gather the religious and the moral and the good people, and we will start something new, Jesus. I don't need healing. Others wanted the healing without the authority. We're sick, we're broken, we're outcasts. Bring us in, show us compassion. We're not interested in your absolute authority over our lives. What makes Jesus so unique is that the cross brings both together. He comes proclaiming the kingdom. He comes healing affliction. He is the king who calls us to total surrender, but he comes healing all our afflictions. He has absolute authority. He has absolute humility. Jesus demands all, but he gives all. Philippians 2, which we read earlier, we read that Jesus didn't come grasping authority, although equal with God himself. He didn't come grasping authority in our lives, but he came to serve. He humbled himself to serve us even to the point of dying in our place. And so as we consider the question of direction, where am I going? Where do I need direction? When Jesus says, follow Me. Where do we put ourselves in that picture? Let's think about that and let's pray. Jesus, your call to follow you is a very challenging call. In many ways, it doesn't make sense to us. It seems too demanding. We have lots of questions about how it looks. And even now, this morning, I know many of us are wrestling with questions of direction, about where our life is headed, which direction we should go. We would hear those words, follow me. And we would take those initial steps after you. And that you would meet us with your compassionate, loving guidance, wherever we need it. May we be followers after you. And may you use us in your mission. We pray this in your powerful name. Amen.